resurrection story, the 24th chapter. You can find these words printed in your bulletin insert. I'll read them for us. And Luke gives us lots of details to think about. This is when he says, But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Now, as Luke goes on in his uh, chapter, he talks about two men on the road to Emmaus, and as they travel along, Jesus appears to them. I'll read 33 through 35 at the end of that story. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Back in the middle of the 20th century, Reinhold Niebuhr was a a famous author and pastor and theologian. He uh, taught at Union Theological Seminary in New York for uh, some 30 years, was an author and was uh, much sought after and much in demand as a speaker at lecture series and those sorts of things. But all of that time that he was teaching at seminary, he was known to have habitually turned down invitations to preach on Easter, preferring instead, he said, to sit in the pew for Easter at one of the more liturgical churches, a church that would have elaborate liturgy and and rich music and not much of a sermon, if one at all, in order, he said, not to be subjected to some preacher trying to make a fool of himself trying to explain the resurrection. So for the preachers that are in here, we need to always remember that. The point being, it's hard enough to talk about and witness to the resurrection, much less trying to explain it to someone, and yet that was the task before these women in our passage this morning, but that's not where Luke begins. Rather, first, he gives us a feeling 
for what some of what these women experienced on this very day that Christ rose from the dead. We're told when they went to the tomb, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. In other words, they were expecting life to be just like it always was. Now, I want us to think about that for a moment. Because, you know, that's what our world teaches us. Our world teaches us this every single day, that life is always as it is. That there aren't any surprises out there. In fact, the only two things certain in life are what? You tell me. Death and taxes. We've heard that all our lives. And what that means is when we go to the cemetery, we expect to find a lot of gravestones and dead bodies. When we go and and exhume a, a coffin, we expect to find a dead body in there. Because that's the way of the world. That's one of those certainties. Death. But with God at work, we have to train ourselves to expect the unexpected. There's no telling what might happen when the power of God is on the loose. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, that sounds like something a preacher would say. No, that's how life really is. There's no telling what might happen when God's power is on the loose. And I heard a perfect illustration of this just a week and a half ago. It happened not to a member of this church, but to a brother of two of our members. Jenny and Walter, their brother Harry, was all set to have open-heart surgery, triple bypass. And he's at the hospital, and he's on this heart floor. And all of a sudden, he just happens to bump into an old family friend who's a cardiac surgeon that he wanted to have do his heart work but couldn't get in to see him because he was too busy. And he saw Harry, and it was like, well, what are you doing here? And Harry says, well, I'm here to have open-heart surgery. And he goes, you're kidding, you know. And uh, I don't know the whole conversation. I may be making up a thing or two along the I've heard enough of the story to get most of it to you. And so that doctor on the spot, because he's an old friend of the family, you know, he says, well, I'm going to look at your test results. I want to know. I want to see what's going to happen here. And after looking at all of that, he said to Harry, you know, I don't think you need open heart surgery. I think you can get by with stents, and I'll do it, and don't worry about it. I'll take care of talking to surgeon for you. And the nurses say that that doctor is never on that floor. But he was that day. Now, do you think that's coincidence? If you think that's coincidence, you don't know how the power of God works in this world. And if you had your choice, Would you choose open-heart surgery, or would you choose a heart cath? That's the ultimate no-brainer. You know exactly what you'd choose. You know, a lot of people have been praying for Harry. You never know what might happen when God's power 
is on the loose. One moment you're looking at an open heart surgery, and the next moment after after a divine intervention, you're on a completely different path. These women were experiencing some of the same in this passage. Because instead of finding the body of their Lord to further prepare for his unexpected burial, they instead see the stone rolled away and they can't find his body anywhere. And while they're sitting there wondering what in the world is going on, all of a sudden two men in dazzling apparel are beside of them. And Luke tells us the men said to them, Remember how you were slaves. Remember what the Lord your God 
covered the empty tomb, not only have they heard the message of the angels, but now they remember. They remember what Jesus had taught them while he was back in Galilee. You know, sometimes we don't pay attention to this part of the Easter story. But this is a very important part, this remembering, because this is Luke's way of helping us to see that God was not surprised by the crucifixion. You know, this was part of his eternal plan from before the foundation of the world all along. Simeon hints at it when Jesus is born and and Mary and Joseph take him into the temple to make the sacrifice for him. And Simeon meets them and says, Now my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared. This salvation is something that God has prepared for you and for me. This good news of the resurrection is something that God had been planning for generation upon generation, century upon century. In Luke's gospel, we can find these words that the angels make reference to in our passage. We can find them in the ninth chapter, where after Peter's confession of Jesus as the Christ, Jesus commanded them to tell no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day, be raised. A little later in that same chapter, Jesus says, the Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of men. This is something that Jesus obviously taught his followers from time to time. And the women remembered his words, and this is when they they spring into action. They begin to tell others. They begin to interpret what they've just seen and experienced through the filter of Jesus' words, which means they began to look at all of this through what Scripture teaches. And what you and I need to see this Easter day is that just when these women were going through what was perhaps for them the worst loss that they had ever experienced, The Word of God in Christ is what brings a meaningful resolution to it all. Do you see what that means? That means that whatever you're going through right now, and some of you are going through some very difficult things, the Word of God will help you make sense out of all of it. And not only will God's Word help you make sense, but we can see the gift
about the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the living hope that's ours to claim through his resurrection power. And if we did talk to somebody about Jesus, what did they think? Did they believe it or did it sound like just a a made-up story? Because, you see, we see in this reaction of the disciples, we see a picture of the 21st century. Just as the followers of Jesus are skeptical, so is our world today. We won't find any difference in what people think. And the reason that's true is because the resurrection of Christ is a doctrine that's hard to believe. It elicits the same response from the world that we see right here in our text. It's it's some kind of fairy tale. You know, that's what people tell us, people out in the world. They say, you Christians just believe in a lot of myths, a bunch of fairy tales. When unbelievers seek to disprove Christianity, lots of times this is where they go for the resurrection. They start studying the resurrection of Jesus Christ, thinking that they can easily it's one of, one of the most solid historical facts that ever took place. Josh McDowell found that out. He was an unbeliever. He had a keen mind. He thought, I can disprove this Christianity thing just by looking at the resurrection. And he began to study. And the Spirit of God got hold of him and convicted him. And subsequently, he wrote his book, Evidence, that demands a verdict. That was a generation ago. In my generation, the same kind of story has played out in the life of Lee Strobel. He was an atheist with a University of Missouri journalism degree and a Master of Studies in Law degree from Yale. He had been an investigative journalist for the Chicago Tribune and other newspapers for some 14 years when all of a sudden his wife was converted to Christianity. And he began to think, I've got to do something about this. I'm losing my wife. You know, she's gone every Sunday and this and that. And he began to investigate, use his investigative skills and what this Christianity is all about. Not only did he read the Bible for himself, but he began to call up well-known scholars, biblical scholars and professors, and meet with them about the claims made in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In his book, The Case for Christ, you can read all about that, where the entire third section is about the resurrection. Much like Joshua Dow, the evidence along with the Holy Spirit's work convinced him of the truth of not only God's Word, but the truth of Jesus claims that He's the Son of the living God. And Lee Strobel today is one of America's greatest apologists, Christian apologists, and author. And he's got a great witness and testimony. But it took him quite a while to believe it. And that's what we can see to some extent in the lives of these same disciples. They have a hard time believing that Jesus is alive. They keep hearing that he's alive, but if we read all of Luke's 24th chapter, we can find that most of them don't believe it until late on Easter Day. And even then, some are not so sure because Luke tells us that
Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our what? Of our faith. It's a journey of faith. How's the race going for you? In a magazine article, Frederick Beekner was once asked to join some other well-known Christians and authors and what they were asked to write about how they had grown in their faith over the years. In other words, how were they running this race differently now that they were older as opposed to when they were younger? And this is what he said. In the past, when my faith was strong, I always trusted God with my life, which is to say I trusted Him, but with the presupposition that I would always be around to plead with him and in general to remind him to be the God of mercy and love that I trusted him to be. The change is that now I began at least to trust him with my death. I began at least to see that death is not merely a biological necessity but a necessity too. Listen to what he's saying. It's a necessity in terms of the mystery of salvation. We're looking at the resurrection, but you can't look at the resurrection without looking at death and thinking about your own death. That's what I'm asking you to do today. It's a necessity in terms of the mystery of salvation. He goes on to say, Thank you. 